my gosh. All right, we're waving it down. Oh, no. We gotta wave back. <laughs> Hi, I'm Curious City digital and engagement producer Maggie Civit. That's me and reporter J.P. Swenson trying to flag down a Chicago snowplow driver. Oh, there's another plow. <gasps> and it's parked. He seems busy. <laughs> if you can believe it, he seems like he has things to do. <laughs> we went out during one of Chicago's big snowstorms last year. And the reason we were out there, with the freezing cold, wind and snow stinging our faces, is that we've gotten a lot of questions about snowplow drivers over the years, including one from this person. Yeah, yeah. So I grew up in Kansas City and, you know, we, we get a slightly less severe version of winter weather than Chicago gets. Peter Thornhill lives in Garfield Park. He's been curious for years about the lives of seasonal city workers. He's wondered what landscapers for the city do during winter months, what snowplow drivers do during the summer months and things like that. But he also has some broader questions. What's it like to be a city snowplow driver, both when it's snowing and when it's not? How does the day in the life of a snowplow driver play out? So we set out to answer those questions. Beyond going out in the middle of a snowstorm, we talked with a city worker who's been plowing snow in Chicago for 40 years. I mean, mentally, we've been doing it forever. So, you know, all drivers are ready, you know, at the helm for snow. Plus, after we learn what it's like to be a snowplow driver, we'll hear about a time Chicago plowed the streets and then did something unexpected with that snow. The, quote, snow surplus from the Chicago blizzard of 1967. Some of the snow was somehow shipped down to school kids in Florida. All that coming up. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Maggie. Hey, JP. So I'm glad we both made it through our snowstorm outing without getting frostbite. Yes, I am too, especially because you did not even have gloves on. <laughs> okay, well, let's start with the basics. How many snowplow drivers are there in the city? Yeah, so when you and I were out, we were using the snowplow tracker to try to find plow trucks. And for people who don't know, it's this app that the city runs that uses GPS data from snowplow trucks and tracks them on a map. And I was really surprised by how many of them were being tracked plowing at once that day. So I talked to Mimi Simon, who's the Director of Public Affairs for the Department of Streets and Sanitation. She told me that during a snowstorm, like the one a couple weeks ago, there are at least 300 drivers per shift helping to keep the roads clear of snow and ice. And that's just through the city itself, right? Yeah, that's right. So in Chicago, the Department of Streets and Sanitation covers snow plowing on all the main streets, side streets, and the areas around city-owned buildings. Then IDOT, the Illinois Department of Transportation, takes care of plowing on highways, and in the suburbs, local governments take care of plowing. Plus, you've got all these private groups that are usually contracted by businesses to plow their parking lots. 
wow, okay. So before this story, I had no idea that there were so many different groups that help keep the streets clear. I didn't either. But plowing is essential to making sure that city services like buses and garbage collection can still happen and making sure that people can get to and from grocery stores and hospitals when they need to. So it's really important work. And tell me about the other person you talked to for this story. They've been plowing snow for the city for a long time, is that right? Yep. His name is Mark Nickel. He was born and raised in Chicago, and for the past 40 years, which is his entire career, he's driven snowplow trucks for the city, among other things. I've driven everything. I've garbage trucks, dump trucks, street sweepers, snow salt trucks. You name it, I've driven it. So does that mean when he's not driving a snowplow truck, he's driving something else for the Department of Streets and Sanitation? Yeah, so to answer one of Peter's questions, it turns out there are 900 drivers employed by the Department of Streets and Sanitation, so they stay busy driving, even when it's not snowing. We maintain city services year-round, whether it's snowing or not. We continue to pick up garbage, forestry, city services constantly. That's year-round. Well, I guess if you're good at driving one kind of truck, you're probably good at another, right? Yes, I think that that is basically true. Although these trucks, like the ones that you and I saw when we were out in the storm, are definitely not your average truck with a plow just attached to the front. You have a, a plow, you know, you have 11 foot steel plow in front of the truck. You, know, you have chains that hook up to a hitch where in hydraulics raise it and lower it. And you have a salt system where you can turn on your conveyor, you can turn it up where the salt comes out and the spinner to turn it out if you need a wider spread. Um, but as far as tools, you know, it's all about, you know, the trucks and the driver. The driver's the tool, you know. The driver is the tool. I love that. It makes me wonder if the drivers prepare for a big storm in any special way. Like, how do they get themselves ready for it? So they do a few things you might expect. They pack a lunch and a lot of water. And then they keep track of the storm on the same weather apps that everyone else uses. They wait to get a message about when to report to work. Mark told me that every driver has a route they cover of about five to six miles. They report for work two hours before the storm hits and have to be out on the streets an hour before to start salting the roads. As someone who grew up in the Midwest, um, being out there in the first snowstorm of the year was really exciting and it was really nostalgic. But then it kind of got really challenging and freezing as the storm picked up. But I guess for Mark, after 40 years, it must just feel like any other workday. Yeah, you know, I wondered that too. But when I asked him about it, it actually sounded like he feels differently. It's definitely not like any other day. It's it's different every time. You know it's coming. You always get a little knots in your stomach getting ready for it. Hopefully it's not, you know, too bad and or what's going to happen. But yeah, nothing is ever the same. You never get old hat on it. You know, it's always something different. Even in that storm that we went out in, it was really hard to see, and the roads got super bad. And it's making me wonder, how dangerous is it to drive a snowplow truck? Yeah, Mark said ice is a lot more dangerous than snow, which is why they put so much effort into salting the roads. He said there are actually 18 salt piles all around the city, so that they're never far from a place where they can refill and get more salt. And you're right, those city snowplow trucks are really safe. But the thing is, not everyone out there is used to driving in a snowstorm. And not everyone is driving a truck that's made for that purpose. So he said it's really other people that you have to look out for. It's absolutely dangerous. You know, there's been times, especially on any street, but Lakeshore Drive, if a car breaks down, which happens, 
in the middle of the lanes. We'll put trucks behind it and stack them so nobody will run into them and everyone will slow down. But sometimes people don't slow down and it, you're looking in your mirror and you're going, come on, move, 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 you know, get over. You got to see these lights. Oh my gosh, that sounds extremely stressful. Did he tell you anything else about snowplow driving that you found surprising or unexpected? Yeah, one thing he told me is that they won't even start plowing the side streets until the snow has stopped falling. Okay, so that's why during a snowstorm, it sometimes feels like my street has a ton of snow on it when they've already plowed the main road several times. Yep, and another thing you told me about is just all these little human moments that happen. Obviously, life doesn't just stop for everyone during a big snowstorm, and a lot of people still have to go to work and things like that. And when you're driving along in a big truck, pushing your huge pile of snow up and onto the side of the street, it sometimes makes for unexpected encounters. The one thing that all drivers really pay attention to, and if you're going on a side street and you got all these people hunkered down in a bus stop in those vestibules or whatever they have, and they all see this plow coming, pushing snow, and they're all covered up and you can see their faces get, their eyes get big and like, oh no, I'm going to get killed. And that driver stops and picks up the plow and keeps going. And then all these people, it's happened to me. They clap, they cheer, they give you thumbs up, you know, thanking them for not wiping them out. (laughs) I love that story so much. Yeah, I hope this gives our question asker, Peter, a better sense of what it's like to be a snowplow driver. And I feel a lot safer knowing that Mark is out there this winter. Right. I felt the same way. Mark, yeah, thank you so much. I don't know if you were out there with the most recent storm, but thanks for taking care of the streets. I'm always out there, Maggie. (laughs) But he actually won't be out there too much longer. After 40 years on the job, Mark is set to retire this June. I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed my time with the city, and that's a long time, 40 years. I'm actually proud to be a city worker, proud that we drive snow and clean the streets and we take care of everything. Makes me feel good. Well, I'm wishing Mark a very happy retirement. So am I. Thanks so much, Maggie, for that reporting and for braving below zero temperatures with me. (laughs) No problem. J.P. Swenson is now a writer and editor for Rotary International. Coming up, we'll hear about a time when Chicago plowed its streets and then exported the snow? Stay with us. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience. I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I'd never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. So we just heard about what it's like to be a snowplow driver in Chicago. Now, we're going to hear a story that originally aired in 2016 about what happened when the city of Chicago sent a train full of snow to Florida. Curious City's former multimedia producer Logan Jaffe has that story. 
Every time it snows in Chicago, I dream about Florida. But I can tell you, come wintertime, there are Floridians dreaming of Chicago, too. I was one of them. I grew up there, a kid without a snow day, stuck with the hurricanes and mosquitoes while the rest of the country made snowmen and had snowball fights. And I felt left out. So when I saw this question come into Curious City, I thought, this one is for me. It's from a classroom of fourth and fifth graders in North Carolina who wanted to know about the, quote, snow surplus from the Chicago blizzard of 1967, the biggest snowstorm in the city's history. They heard that some of the snow was somehow shipped down to school kids in Florida, and they wanted the full story, the who, the why, the how. I jumped at the chance to investigate, because if school kids in Florida really did get snow, honest-to-God, fluffy, white, perfect Chicago snow day snow in 1967, that'd be a miracle by Florida kids' standards. And I want to tell you that miracles really do happen. Let's start back on January 26th, 1967. The windy city of Chicago is white, battered by a furious winter storm which dumped two feet of snow across the Midwest. 68 deaths were traced to the blizzard. Ten-foot drifts were a common sight after the 29-hour snowfall which brought this giant city to a standstill. The city dumped snow anywhere it could. Parkland, vacant lots, even the Chicago River. Some Chicago railroad companies came up with their own solution for the snow surplus in their train yards one that caught the attention of media outlets around the country. As reported in Connecticut's Morning Record, As the hub of the nation's transcontinental rail traffic, Chicago's railroads loaded empty boxcars or gondolas with snow and hauled them off to Tennessee, Mississippi, or Texas to melt in the sun. Some 500 carloads of snow moved south in one week. Sayonara! Problem solved. Except that is not the whole story. Remember our curious classroom's question about how and why a trainload of snow ended up in the sunshine state? Well, it turns out it was all because of one girl. That was a big day in my life, and I haven't talked about it to anybody in a long time. Ladies and gentlemen, the snow queen who single-handedly brought a freight train of snow to Fort Myers Beach in 1967. Her name is Terry Bell, Terry Hodson at that time. She was 13 years old. Okay, so I'm curious how the whole thing started. Yeah, my family was sitting around one evening watching the nightly news, and you had had a tremendous snowstorm in Chicago, and they said they were actually loading it on empty train cars that were headed south. So I, being the curious child I was, said to my dad, I think I should write them and ask them to send me some down here. And he laughed and said, yes, sure, go ahead. So she wrote a letter to William Quinn, the president of the Chicago, Burlington and Quincy Railroad. If you're sending snow south, could you please send me some? I live in Florida and I've never seen snow and I would like it if you would send me some snow. Wow. Um, And so like as a 13 year old, did you think it was a long shot? Um, Oh, I don't know, probably 50-50. But Quinn did get Terry's letter, and possibly sensing a good PR stunt, and possibly out of the goodness of his heart, Quinn said he, quote, sympathized with Terry's plight. So, 
My parents actually got the phone call, and a few minutes later, after they got off the phone, they called me in and sat me down, and they said, do you remember that letter you sent to the railroad about the snow? And I thought, oh, dear, I'm in trouble. They look on my father's face, and he started laughing, and he says, well, guess what? You're going to get it. <laughs> and what did you, what did you think? <laughs> Um, Oh, I was just totally in shock. Then I was, you know, like a kid waiting on Christmas at that point. Here's how it worked. The Burlington and Quincy Railroad already had a line running from Chicago to South Florida. Typically, the trains would leave Chicago empty to pick up fruit in Florida before heading back north in refrigerated cars. So, honoring Terry's request, Quinn loaded a couple cars full of snow. Needless to say, the media went berserk. Florida gets snow on request. Youth snow wish answered. Snow due in Florida soon. Children to see snow first time in lives. Read a week's worth of headlines from Pennsylvania to California. Terry Hodson became a national celebrity. The most popular girl in school that week. So, so the day that, <laughs> and then so the day that the snow came rolling into town, what was the crowd like? Oh, there was probably uh, maybe a thousand people there. It a was, thousand it was, it was people. It was crowded. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> they actually had me cut the metal seal, the band on the doors to the car, and was there when they slid the door open. But it wasn't quite what I pictured. I had expected it to be soft and powdery and, you know, like drifting snowflakes and, and it, it, would, it would just, you know, come kind of pouring out of the car. And unfortunately, after a week's ride in a refrigerator car, was no longer soft, powdery snow. It was quite icy. You could still kind of form it a little bit and do something with it. And people were building, trying to build snowmen and throw snowballs and make snow angels and stuff. I guess I, you know... Never questioned it as a kid. I just assumed snow was always snow. It was soft and powdery, and, you know, I always thought it just stayed soft and powdery. I didn't realize that it refroze and turned to ice and things like that. Yep. Give a kid from Florida 20 minutes with snow, and she'll get as disenchanted as any Chicagoan. So to the classroom of kids in North Carolina who asked about that trainload of snow to Florida nearly a lifetime ago, yes, it happened, which is pretty miraculous. It's just that some miracles melt in 20 minutes. It was still snow, and I could say I saw snow, but I've still never really walked out on a snowy day like a Christmas card and been in real snow. Um, You know, everybody says you'll have a, you know, your claim to fame in one, you know, some time in your life, and that was probably the most exciting thing that ever happened in my life. Logan Jaffe first reported this story in 2016. She's now a newsletter reporter for ProPublica. Say hi to Florida for me. I miss it. Uh, uh, yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> I do. I do. I really do. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right. Bye. Curious City is a production of WBEZ Chicago and is part of the NPR Network. The show is produced by Jason Mark and Joe Dassault. Susie Ann is our editor. I'm digital and engagement producer Maggie Sivet. Thanks for listening. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. 
NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org slash curious. Thank you.